Well, good morning. Today, or this week, has been a very eventful week. Um, some ups, some downs. Um, it's made work at, it's made my job at work very interesting. Um, and uh, a lot of people, as you look, are in turmoil, they're worried, um, some are rejoicing. Um, and uh, all, all around an election, um, it seems to have gra grabbed everybody. Um, we're not going to be talking about the election this morning. Um, uh, going through Facebook and, and, and various things, um, I've seen some discouraging things, but I've seen a lot of encouraging things, a lot of, of believers um, posting encouraging thoughts and reminding the church, reminding those that are saved of who's ultimately in control, um, who holds uh, the world word together, the world together by the word of his power, um, who exalts kings and takes down, puts down kings, and um, he's the one that we serve. He's the one that we worship, um, and we look to him. And uh, just like we've prayed for past presidents and and those in in rule and authority over us, we should continue to pray uh, for those in rule and authority over us. Um, thinking of that, um, we are going to embark on a very um, interesting um, study, um, something that has encouraged my heart for years, um, and that is a, a look at the Lord Jesus um, in the book of Mark. So if you can turn in, in, in Mark to Mark chapter 1. Um, several months ago, uh, Lincoln shared the message uh, with me, and he brought out this idea and, and reminded us of the various aspects or angles that the Gospels um, show or bring out of our Lord. And I'm just going to read something just to start us off. Uh, this was not me. Uh, this is by an author. And, um, and, and it kind of breaks down each, each book um, and, and the angle that it takes. It says, Matthew, a despised tax collector, offered Christ to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He presented his Savior as the son of David, example, Solomon, the royal builder, and as the son of Abraham, example, the, uh, Isaac, the submissive sacrifice. Mark wrote for the Romans, a military nation, and therefore he stressed the virtues of service, obedience, and discipline. He unveils the Redeemer as the Son of God and as the servant prophet of Isaiah. Luke sought to win the wider Greek-speaking world with ideals of physical and intellectual perfection. In his writings, we are face to face with the Son of Man, the, phys the physician priest, the healer for the strict stricken humanity. And according to John's Gospel, Jesus is not primarily the Son of anyone. He was revealed as God himself, the maker of the world, manifested in flesh, and to be worshipped as my Lord and my God. He is the lamb whose sacrifice was offered and is available for all mankind. Hence, John tells us that the inscription on the cross was written in Hebrew and in Latin and in Greek. For God so loved the world. Uh, and this was written by uh, Harold St. John. So we are going to be looking at, um, Lord willing, um, the life of our Lord as it applies to Mark. And, and we won't be exhaustive in this study, um, but we will look at 
um, the, the aspect of our Savior as a servant. Um, so before we, uh, we open, let's just look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you once again for the opportunity um, and the privilege to worship um, our Savior uh, this morning, um, that uh, the Son of God uh, who came, um, put on flesh, and, and died um, a sinner's death, um, but raised a conquering Savior and is now seated at your right hand. And Father, we just are so thankful for him this morning, that name that is so sweet, that name that we love to sing about. And Father, this morning as we look at um, that perfect servant, um, Father, we just pray that your spirit would lead us and guide us through this, these thoughts, and we pray that he would be glorified as a result. We pray this in his name. Amen. And we'll just uh, look in Mark chapter 1, and verse 1. It says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Uh, he opens uh, this book of Mark. It's very interesting. Mark kind of has a, a black eye in, in, in the, the, the church. Um, we often, when we think about Mark, we think about that time when they were about to launch out into um, their missionary journey and Mark decided to turn back. And, and then um, as a result, there is a, a dissension and it said that um, the, uh, the dissension between Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas was sharp um, over this Mark. Bar Barnabas obviously wanting to bring him, um, who is his nephew, and Paul wanting to wanting him to stay behind. And, and from that, that whole incident, um, the two works had, had split. Um, but we know that Mark was later restored, and, and Paul, in, in later times, and even in, in Timothy and others, and other epistles, he, he calls for Mark. Um, and, and there's that restoration, that bringing back. And it's a reminder to us that um, just before we even start, that no matter how much we mess up, God can still use us. Um, is if we turn, turn to him. And uh, Mark here is not only used um, by God uh, in, in, within the, the, uh, the contemporary time of, of the apostles, but he is used by God to write the gospel and that is forever um, for us and recorded for us. So uh, what, a, what a blessing that is that, that Mark is used. And it says, in the beginning of the gospel of, Christ, of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, what we see in Mark is an absence of a family tree that is uh, so evident and prominent in, in Matthew and Luke. Um, why is that? Well, as we read and as shared that portion, um, different gospels were written for different people, uh, different groups of people. And Mark was written for the, for the Gentiles, for the Romans. Well, the Romans uh, really didn't care too much about lineage and, 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 and family trees. Um, and here, Mark brings out the fact of, of Jesus as that perfect servant. And what do you want to know in a servant or in a worker? You want to know if he's qualified. Is he qualified to do the job? And this is what Mark brings out. He shows and proves time and time again that he is qualified and he is that perfect servant. So as it is written in the prophets... And then he quotes two different portions of scripture in Malachi 3.1 and Isaiah 43. And uh, he brings out this, uh, he, he introduces John the Baptist in doing so. But he says, I will send my messenger before your face who will prepare 
your way before you. Um, the John the Baptist had that preparatory work of making that path straight for the Savior. Um, in other portions, in Matthew and Mark and John and others, we see a lot of prophecy being, being expressed and, and shown that it is fulfilled. And we don't have that in Mark. Again, Mark being written to a group of Gentiles and, and not really needing to, to, to prove this. But we see in Malachi, he says, I will send my messenger before you, and he will prepare your way. And he's that voice of one crying in the wilderness, um, and he's preparing the way of the Lord. He's making that path straight, that preparatory work of John the Baptist to, to, um, to forerun for the Lord, um, to, to prepare the ground for when the, the Savior would come. And so this morning, we're going to look quickly um, at John and, and his work, and then we're going to um, go back to uh, the Lord Jesus. So in verse 4, it says, John, the ba- John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Uh, then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him, and they were all baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Um, this, uh, this topic of, of, of baptism and John's baptism, uh, it, it goes back and forth, and there's a lot of doctrines that were built based on this, this, uh, this portion here. Um, and John was, was preaching, and, and we see in, in a few verses what he was doing, um, what he was preaching. Um, and he was, repi- he was preaching against the religious system of the day, um, against the, the false idea that um, you can do whatever you want, um, that you can, um, you can have your cake and eat it too, um, that you can um, use the house of God um, as a den of thieves, and you can um, earn your way to heaven. And um, the, these things that have, have plagued mankind since... Um, that since the beginning of, of Adam and Eve. And so John, is, came, he came preaching a baptism of repentance. Um, and he was baptizing people in the Jordan. And what, what does that mean? Well, certain Bibles have it stated in different ways. Um, I know King James and New King James says that he came preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Um, the scripture is very clear that there's no physical act that we can do that is going to save us from our sins. It's not getting baptized, as we saw a few weeks ago um, here at the chapel. Um, It's not going to church. It's not performing some sort of religious act or or rite from from times past. Um, It's a heart. It's the heart that needs to change. Um, God or or the Lord would tell um, Solomon that, Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. He cares about your heart, and where is your heart? And here, John was preaching that they needed to turn to God from their sin. And this baptism that he was baptizing people with was an identification that, that they, they were going to turn to God from their sin, that they were tired of the system that they had been a part of, and, and that they were, they were ready to change and to look to the Lord. And it says that as he was baptizing them, that all the, the region came out. Now, you would think that John, being this great preacher, would have to go into the town square and stand on a soapbox and preach on the corner and draw these crowds to him. Um, we don't see that. We see John out in the wilderness, um, and we see the men and women of the city going to him for this message. Um, 
John had the, the, the ministry of Elijah, and as we're going to look at that in a few minutes. But, but Elijah was definitely against the grain. He did not go the way of the, the people, um, and, and he went the way of the Lord. Um, and he didn't do things the way that we as people would have normally done, running up to the king and telling him to his face certain things. Um, and, and here, John did the exact same thing, and, and, and ultimately he was, uh, he was beheaded for that. But we see these, these men and women seeing that, they, that their dire situation that they were in, and, this, and John came as a messenger, and he was preparing this way. He was preparing the soil. He was the forerunner, the herald of, of Jesus, and, and making those paths straight. And, and this ministry of John is, is a very speci uh, specific one. Um, it was one that was given to him by God. But we, too, should share in this. Uh, we, too, should be those, these, the, the forerunner or the herald or the one that is proclaiming to the world their need for a savior. And this is what John was doing. Now in verse 6 it says, Now John was clothed with camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locust and wild honey. Again, uh, similar, and it would draw our thoughts back to um, that of Elijah. Um, not clothed with the fine garments uh, from Jerusalem or from the, the, the neighboring towns. Um, he wore camel's hair and had a leather belt. Um, he wasn't concerned with the, um, the status quo of the day. He wasn't concerned of, of, of his garments or his vesture or what he, what he wore. He wasn't concerned what people thought of him. He simply was here to do the will of God, to, to preach and to, to prepare the way of the Lord. And notice what he eats. He's eating locusts and wild honey. Um, I have never eaten a locust. I've never done it. Some, of, some in here might have. Um, I've eaten some pretty disgusting things uh, before, but never a locust. But what we see in, in, in locusts and wild honey, um, there's two things that, that, we, that, that is pictured for us here. Um, and, and when you look at the locust in the Bible, what is it a picture of? Well, it's a picture of judgment. Um, if you look back to Exodus, we see locusts coming and, and wiping out the crops of the Egyptians. Um, we see it in Joel, and then also we see it fast-forwarding into Revelation. We see the locusts coming. And so locust is this picture of judgment, or the symbol of judgment. He's eating judgment. Um, and in, in the, the second portion, he said he's eating honey, eating wild honey. Um, well, what is honey a picture of? Um, just turn real quickly with me to uh, Psalm chapter 19, or Psalm 19. Honey for us in the scripture uh, is pictured in two different things. In Psalm 19, uh, it says, and we'll start in verse, uh, verse 9, it says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than fine gold, sweeter also than honeycomb, uh, than honey and the honeycomb. Um, we see that it is, it is, a, it is a, also a, a symbol of judgment, uh, of these judgments, and to do, to perform them, to do the will of God. And many of you thought of this verse um, in, in Psalm 119, verse 103, that reads, um, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. 
Um, so John here is, is getting his daily nutrition, um, his daily nourishment from locusts and wild honey, the judgments of the Lord, the will of the Lord, and the word of the Lord. Um, and these are what is keeping him going. Um, it's all you need, really, to survive. He has protein, and he has some sugars, um, natural sugars. Um, and he, and he's, he's able to maintain his diet and to maintain his ministry based on these things. Um, what I think is interesting, if, if, you, if you think about this honey that he's eating, it's the last recorded thing that the Lord Jesus eats on, the, on, on earth. Um, if, you, if you go to, and for the sake of time we won't, but if you go to Luke 24, 42, um, when he makes that meal on the beach, he has, there's honeycomb there, um, and he eats honeycomb with, with the, the disciples. Um, so here we have John. He's in the world, but he's not of the world. Uh, he's not feasting on the daily delicacies that um, everybody would look forward to. We all um, have uh, that one Thursday marked on our calendar where we look forward to eating this giant feast, and uh, some will be coming here. And, and we look forward to food, and I love food. Um, and some, of, some in here uh, love clothes, and they love to shop for clothes and to uh, look up clothes online um, and, and all these things. Um, that's, not, uh, that's not directed to my wife at all. Um, but we all get caught up with these things. And, and, and what we see here in, in John the Baptist is that he wasn't concerned about these things. He wasn't weighed down by these things. These things didn't bother him. They didn't concern him. What was he concerned with? Doing the will of God, preparing the way of the Lord, seeing a nation turn to God from their sin. And, and this is a message to us. Um, what are we concerned with? What, what, what occupies our time? Are we, are we concerned about an election? Are we concerned about a job? or, or a, you know, a, a situation that we're in, a relationship? Or are we concerned about the, the, the daily comings and goings of life, work, school, what have you? Or, or, and these things are important. These things do come into our lives, and, and, and they need to be taken care of and handled. But what is ultimately important, and it's to do the will of God, um, to share this gospel that we have. Um, we have the keys of eternal life, um, it, it's been shared with us, and we should go and share it with others. Um, and what we see in John <clears throat> is he doesn't stand on his pulpit and preach down to these people. Um, he, does, he does share the gospel with them. He does say that you need to repent from your sins. Um, he doesn't sugarcoat sin, and we shouldn't sugarcoat sin. But what does he do here in verse 7? He says, and he preached, saying, there comes one after me who's mightier than I, whose sandal strap... I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. What we see in, in, in John is, although he was outside of the culture of the day, and al although he was in the world and not of the world, we see humility. Um, and this is, this is what he preached. And this is a mark of a good preacher, one that lives high the name of Jesus. Okay, he must increase, I must decrease. And, and, and this, is the, this is the ministry of John, and this should be our ministry as well. One who lifts high the name of Jesus, exalts him above every man, um, and, and humbles ourselves um, when we talk to other people. He says, I indeed baptized you with water. It was that symbol of, of, of a remission of sin, of a forgiveness of sin. It wasn't for the remission. It was a symbol, merely a symbol. But he 
but he, the Lord Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Looking forward to that day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit would come down and would, would fill all the believers. And then looking forward to that day when future Christians would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and be baptized into the church, becoming one body. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now it says it came to pass in, these, in those days that Jesus came. Jesus came. Let's not read our Bibles too quickly. Jesus came. Like we remembered this morning, the Son of God, the one that created the heavens and the earth, came. He was here. You could go. You could get on a plane right now and fly to the place that he stood. He came. God came. Jesus came. And he came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, many have, have wrestled with this. What does this mean? Why was he baptized? Um, John, we just read that John's was a baptism of, of repentance for sins. And we know, we know, and the word of God is very clear that the Lord Jesus Christ was perfect. Um, he he um, knew no sin. Um, he did no sin. In him was no sin. He was perfect. So why was he baptized? It says, and we read it in verse 10, and immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Why did Jesus get baptized? Jesus came and he put himself under the law. Turn to uh, Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Why did Jesus do these things? I, I, I enjoyed some, some thoughts on this this week. Um, Jesus, being a Jew, would have been circumcised on the eighth day. Well, what was the, what was the symbol? Why, why was, uh, what was circumcision? What was it a symbol of? It was a symbol of a cutting away of the flesh, of the sin, and, and, and a group that was sanctified to God. Well, why would Jesus have to, be, have to go through that? Um, there, was no, there was no flesh. There was no sin nature in him. Um, and he would go to the temple often, and he would do all these things often. And if you look at Galatians 4, 4, we have the answers to why he did these things. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. He put himself under the law and fulfilled the law in every jot and tittle, um, never breaking the law. And so when Jesus came, his identification, this, this baptism, at, when John baptized him, it was a symbol and it was a picture that one day, three years later, that he would be baptized with a baptism that we'll never know. Um, he will be put into, um, he, the judgment of God will be poured out on him for the sins of the world, the sins that these men and women were confessing in the Jordan, that he would be baptized with those sins, that those sins would be laid upon him, that he would pay for every single sin ever committed on the planet, and that he would, he would be uh, buried, and that he would raise again three days. He was baptized 
Um, and and what, what do we see after the baptism takes place? It says the heavens part. And here, in, and I don't really like the, the words that the New King James uses here. It says, it says the heavens parting. Kind of just, you know, like somebody would part a curtain. Well, the actual word here is the heavens were rent or torn apart. Um, and what happens when the heavens are torn apart? We see the Godhead present here. It says the Spirit came descending upon him like a dove. Um, I used to read my Bible too quickly, and I used to think it was a dove. Um, it just says it was like a dove, um, not, not an actual dove. And it says the voice from heaven came saying, you are my beloved son. This is the Father speaking, and he's saying, in whom I am well pleased. What was the purpose of this? This was the beginning of, of Jesus' earthly ministry, the three years, the mark of the start of the three years. So why would, why would God have to do this? This was to show and to prove to the world that those 30 years that were spent that, that are pretty dark for us, we don't know what happened. We, don't, we know that he was a carpenter, um, he was a carpenter's son, um, and we know where he was, but we don't know much about the, the, the first 30 years. But what this is here is a stamp of approval in saying he's perfect. Um, he's perfect. And just like we, we said at the beginning, what, what do you want in a servant? You want someone who's qualified, who's fit to do the job. And here, from the, from the throne room of heaven, God said he's qualified, he's perfect. And so um, um, the psalm, or, and, and there's a prayer in Isaiah 64, and, and we did go through this in, in, our, in our Wednesday night Bible study. Um, in 64, verse 1, it's a prayer that is answered um, by, um, at least in part, Isaiah 64 and 1. And I'll read it real quickly. It says, Oh, this is a prayer of Isaiah. It says, Oh, that, the, that you would rend the heavens and that you would come down. Prayer answered. Um, that, that he would rend the heavens, would be torn, that, that Jesus came and he was here. Um, and he was, um, uh, he was proven to be perfect. Um, and so what we have in, in, in verse 12, it says, Immediately. Mark is a book of action. Uh, many believe, scholars believe, and commentators believe that Mark was actually um, written from uh, uh, direction by Peter. Um, and so that being said, um, Peter was a very, he was a man of action. Okay, let's, let's get the job done. Let's cut off his ear. Let's move forward. You know, he, he just wanted to get going. And, and, and so we see kind of that hint in Mark that, that it, he was a man of action. And, and we see that in the life of the Lord, that he was always moving he was never dragging his feet. He never delayed or stayed or took his time. Everything was going forward, going forward to that day where he would die on a cross. And so immediately, this word in, the, in Mark is mentioned 40 times. 40 times, immediately. Um, it says, immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. Now in other Gospels, it says that he was driven into the Spirit to be tested. To be tested. The Spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tested by Satan. Um, and it says, and he was there in the wilderness 40 days, that number 40 being a, a, a symbol to us of testing. And he was tempted by Satan and was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered to him. So we have the, the, the beginning of his earthly ministry. And you would think that as the heavens part, the Spirit comes down, God speaks from heaven, and where does he go next? He goes into the wilderness 
to be tempted by Satan, to be tested by him. Um, why? Why? Why is Jesus being baptized? Why is he being driven by the Spirit into the wilderness? Is that he's proving that he is fit to do the job. Tested by Satan in the wilderness, 40 days, yet without sin. Um, and so that later we can, we can hang our hat on the fact that he was tested like we are tested. He was tempted like we are tempted, and yet he was without sin. Um, and so he was tempted by Satan, and, and Mark doesn't go into the temptations of Christ. He doesn't. Um, he doesn't list them, and we have those in other Gospels. But what was the main point that Satan was trying to, or the main temptation that Satan was trying to get Jesus to do? Um, he was trying to do exactly what he's been trying to do since the beginning of time, since the, beginning, since the garden. What did he tell Adam and Eve? What did he tell Eve? You can do it on your own. God's not right. Um, God's lying. You're right. You can do it. Um, and this is what he told, this is what he was tempting uh, Jesus with. He was saying, you know, turn, these, turn, turn this bread into, uh, turn these rocks into bread. You know, jump down from this high, this high mountain. Um, you can do it. And, and, he, and he was tempting Jesus to do things outside the will of God. And this is exactly what he tempts us to do. To do things outside the will of God. Um, and so he was there in the wilderness for 40 days, 40 nights, being tempted. And it says the angels came and ministered. He was there, it says he was there with the wild beast and the angels. Now I used to think that it was the wild beasts and Satan that were trying to get him. You know, he's, he's you know, perhaps maybe he's running from wild beasts, being tempted by Satan at the same time. Um, but here it says that he was tempted by Satan, but then he was comforted by, or he was with the wild beasts and the angels. Comforted by his creation from above and his creation from below. Um, and, and, and that's what we see him um, being ministered to by these two groups of people, or two groups, uh, the, the, the wild beasts and the angels. Um, and now we'll, we'll close with this here. Uh, it says, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So John had been put in prison. Um, we know why John was put in prison and, and we, know that, um, we know the outcome of what took place there. So it, it's as if there, there's the changing of the guard. The forerunner, has, his, he's out of a job. Um, the king is here. Uh, the, the, one, the, uh, the, the one that he is, he's proclaiming, that the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world is here. And so John is put in prison. Um, and so now Jesus steps forward, and he's on the scene, and he is preaching the gospel. Jesus is preaching the gospel. And he's saying, it's time. The time is fulfilled. Um, thinking about the fact from, from creation's past, from the beginning of time to this point, um, this is the center of time right here, Jesus being on this planet, um, the center of time. And he says when the time, the time is fulfilled, and he came at the perfect time. It says when the fullness of time came, um, the, 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 not only politically, but spiritually, it was, it was the perfect time to come. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, if you look in Matthew, um, he, the, the same message is preached, um, but it says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
Um, is this a contradiction? No, it's not. Um, what is the kingdom of God? And what is the kingdom of heaven? Well, without getting into it too deeply, um, uh, the kingdom of God is, when, is God as sovereign ruler over the entire universe, everything. Um, the kingdom of heaven would be the, the earthly and heavenly reign. Um, so for him to say that the kingdom of God is at hand or the kingdom of heaven is at hand, uh, the kingdom of God is all-inclusive. It includes all of this. And so um, both of these are um, interchangeable at times. Um, and he says he, he has a very interesting message. It's repent and believe the gospel. This is the message that we should preach. Um, this is the message that we should go into the world with. Repent. What does repent mean? Um, many think that repentance is, is, is an actual physical work. Um, you know, um, I always, with, with the high school class, and, and maybe because, you know, I'm a police officer, I kind of, you know, don't look at things like the way I should. But, um, you know, if somebody is murdering somebody and they just, they're, they're addicted and they're a serial killer and they just, they just, they just have to murder people, um, people can turn away from that. You know, uh, you just got to stop murdering people. Well, what, is, what does the word repent mean? It's, it's a turning away from something. Um, people, like Joe, Joe Reese always says, you know, he, he, he smoked before he got saved. He, he smoked. And have people outside of Christ ever stopped smoking? Yeah, it happens all the time. People quit smoking. They kick the habit. Um, that's not repentance. Um, and that's a work because you're laboring. Some of these people are laboring. Repentance is a change of heart. Repentance is a turning to God from your sin. And what, what was this message? The message was, you can't do it on your own. You can't earn your way to heaven. There's nothing in yourself that you can do to earn favor with God. It's a turning to God from your sin. And it says, repent and believe. Believe what? What, is, what does that word believe mean? It simply means to put your trust in. Um, and, and the best way that I can even articulate this or, or, or picture it in my mind is, is rock climbing. Um, I used to like to rock climb a lot, um, and then we had three kids, and that, that went out the door. Um, so rock climbing. And, and in rock climbing, once you've climbed your way to the top, you're, you're harnessed in, you've got this rope, and, what, and you can tell anybody in that gym, that rock climbing gym, I have full trust and faith in this rope. I, I do. I, I have faith in this rope. But when is that faith actually put into practice? It's when you get to the top and you got to let go. Um, you got to put your trust in that rope. Um, and, it, and it's that, that letting go of self. You know, and this is the way I picture it. You're at the top and you let go of your own strength and completely allow that rope and that harness to take you. And that's exactly what faith is. It's letting go of I can do this on my own and putting your complete faith and trust and that only God can save me. Only the finished work of Jesus Christ can get me to heaven. But it's, it's that turn, that turn from sin to God. Um, not, not an action of turning, not a, not a quit your sin turning, but a change of mind. I can't do this on my own. I need God. And letting go and letting God. Um, and he says, repent and believe in the gospel, that gospel that would one day be um, um, fully made known on the cross um, when Jesus died. 
Um, and so what we're going to do is we're going to open this up, and then we're going to finish this tonight in this, this call of discipleship, as we, as we see um, in, in uh, the next few verses. Jesus has gone out. The, 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 the forerunner has prepared the way. Jesus is now preaching the gospel and, 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 and proclaiming this call, a call to be saved, a call to believe in the gospel, to repent from your sins. But then after that call, there's another call, and there's this call. It's the call to discipleship. And what does that mean? What does that look like? In verse 16, it says, And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, and they, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. This call to discipleship, the call for the gospel um, has gone out. Um, and now it's a call to discipleship, to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and this is something that is, has really been on my heart for the last two, two three years now, um, of what does it mean to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be an, a devoted follower of him. Um, Bill McDonald has a book, True Discipleship. Many of us have read it. Uh, Bill confessed himself that as he was writing this, and I think he even mentions it in the book, that he had a hard time. He knew what a disciple was supposed to do. I mean, it's, and it's really easy to, to say it, but it's, it's extremely hard to live it, um, to daily be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this call has gone out, and he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, in other gospels, we know that, the, that Jesus has already come in contact with this group of people. And so they already kind of knew, they knew at this point who he was. And so now he sees them, and they're, they're working as fishermen. And, and keep in mind, this is their livelihood. I mean, everything depended upon the catch of the day. Um, their jobs, their mortgages, can they pay the, 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 the Roman taxes? Um, do they have food on the table for their kids? Everything depended upon this, the, the fish and if they caught fish. And Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And what do they do? They leave their nets. They forsake their livelihood. They drop everything, and they follow him. Um, there's, a, there's something that Joe McHale said years ago, and it has struck a chord with me so, so many times, and it is what God has planned for you is so much better than what the world has planned for you. Um, the things that God has in store, the plan that God has for your life, to be a disciple, a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ is so much better than being the best fisherman in Galilee or being the best businessman in the Inland Empire or being the chief of police. It's so much better. The things that God does, th these things, these fish, the becoming fishers of men, it has eternal value. Um, we can't take it with us, but we can send it on ahead these eternal rewards, fishers of men. Think of this. Think of what, what just happened here. Peter left his nets. Fast forward three and a half years, he's preaching a message, and 3,000 people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. What God has planned for you is so much better than what the world has planned for you. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, this morning... Uh, we've been taken aback by thoughts of your son. 
thoughts of that perfect servant, one who is qualified, the one who has finished the work that was set before him, and the one who continues to labor on our behalf, interceding for us. Father, we are so thankful for him. We are so thankful for this perfect plan of salvation that has been given to us. Father, we just pray that as we've uh, looked at these, these few thoughts of, of what it means to be like the Lord Jesus, a servant of him, one who's humble, one who's bold, and one who's willing to let the things of this world go and grab on to him. Father, we just pray that you would show us what this means in each of our lives. Show us how to do this uh, tomorrow morning um, as we go to work and school. Father, we, we, it's our desire to be like him, to be his followers. And Father, we just pray that you would help us, show us what that looks like. Lord, we ask that you would part us with your blessing and uh, bring us back safely tonight. And we pray all this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.